For context, this interview was recorded in March of 2020, in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? Robbie Kelman-Baxter has been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. And in this podcast, she uncovers the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Today's subscription story features Adam Taggart, For the past 15 years, Adam and his partner, Chris Martinson, have been running Peak Prosperity, a subscription-based research firm focused on helping individuals live resiliently, no matter what happens. They provide insight on all areas, but their key expertise is healthcare and money management. Peak Prosperity has been warning a global pandemic and subsequent market meltdown for years before the emergence of COVID-19. Needless to say, the number of subscribers shot up in the spring of 2020. We need to get through this storm, and our storm obviously was things going too well in the world, and then the breakages that we're predicting is going to happen, and that's when we're going to get our shrimp in the shrimp boat, and that's exactly what's happened over the past month and a half. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to handle a spike in acquisition, how to build a lifestyle subscription business without outside capital, what it's like to have a 50-50 business partner, and much more. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Robbie. It's great to be here. It's great to see you again, too. Great to see you, too. Um, So after 20 years in Wall Street and then as my neighbor here in Silicon Valley, you and your family packed up in 2013 and moved up to a property in Sonoma, uh, up in the wine country of California, where you keep bees, pigs, chickens, and um, you and Chris are running Peak Prosperity remotely. Can you walk me through that process from Wall Street to beekeeper? <laughs> sure. Uh, it's not naturally intuitive to you? <laughs> no. Um, I'll, I'll give you the short story, which is um, I graduated college. I went to Brown and uh, was pre-med. I come from a family of doctors and was going to be a doctor. And uh, my senior year was... Uh, about to apply to medical school. And back then it was in the early 90s. And it was right when the healthcare system was being revamped. And every doctor I know knew said, um, hey, the whole thing's changing. It's going to get a lot more, a lot less fulfilling for doctors. Uh, take some time off and wait for the dust to settle and then, then make up your mind. Uh, so I had to figure out what else I was going to do and uh, went to go work on one of those Wall Street investment banking analyst programs just because it seemed like a good way to spend a couple of years. Um, apparently supposed to and I learned a couple of things. One, that, that the Wall Street culture was not for me. Uh, two, I learned that Wall Street exists to serve its own interests and not those of its purported clients. After three years on Wall Street, um, I ended up going to business school at Stanford, really primarily as a way to get out of Wall Street and to try to find something else to do with my life that, that might have more meaning. And uh, while I was there at Stanford, the internet revolution happened. And so and uh, went to go work for a startup and then went from that startup to go work at Yahoo, where I spent the better part of a decade um, and uh, ended up as a vice president there, vice president of marketing for North America, which was a big role and it was a great place to work. And I met, met a lot of really great people. And while I was there, um, I, uh, I went to go buy a house. This was probably like in 2003. Um, I went to go buy uh, just a you know, 
the most basic sort of starter home that, that you could find in our area. And the listing price was like $800,000. And uh, the realtor said, well, if, if you want the house, you're going to have to bid uh, about 100000 over asking. But I did, over, I did bid over for it. And, uh, and the realtor came back and said, well, you, you were so far outbid uh, that they've sold the house. I said, wow, they, not that I was going to, but they don't even want to invite me to counter. Nope, nope, they got enough money for it. And so began the, um, yeah, the housing bubble uh, of the first half of the 2000s. And um, I, I recently graduated from Stanford and thought, look, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm, I'm not the dumbest either. And I'm just missing something here. I just spent all this money on this expensive degree. And I don't understand why people are willing to spend so much money for a, a depreciating, wooden, depreciating wooden box. And I went online and began researching the housing market. And um, interestingly enough, there was a a minority of folks whose voices attracted me and, and what differentiated them from the majority is they were the guys who actually had data. And they were saying, look, this is a, is a price bubble. It's an asset price bubble in housing. And here are all the historic metrics. And you can see how kind of at the beginning of 2000, they begin just sort of shooting the moon. And these ratios are going to have to come back to earth at some point. Um, you know, it turns out that these folks were actually right. So I had uh, kind of sat out the, the first housing bubble Watched it burst in 2007. The housing started to burst, and then the greater market bubble uh, bursting in 2008. And um, that um, really gave me confidence that these guys who were initially warning about the housing bubble, but really were describing how it was created by bad economic and, and monetary policy uh, and, and too loose lending standards, um, that they were really onto something. And one of the people who I was reading during this time was this fellow named Chris Martinson. And uh, he had just published this 26-chapter video series called The Crash Course, which predicted all of the economic uh, dislocations that were happening in 2008, but also tied it to resources in a way that I hadn't seen done before. So um, I ended up uh, reaching out and contacting Chris, and, and we sort of hit it off and decided, hey, with his... his um, you know, ability to continue to analyze what was going to happen next and my familiarity with digital media that our partnership really might be kind of a, a perfect marriage where I could really free him up as a one-man operator to not have to worry about the business side of things and just do his analysis and that I could then run the business part of, of things, which is really sort of what we we ended up agreeing into. And that that's where that 50-50 partnership you mentioned in there. So Peak Prosperity, you came in as the business guy. Um, and you built a subscription. That was that's the business model that you have built. Can you walk me through what that what the business model is? So sure. How much does it cost? Um, who joins? Uh, when can they cancel? All of that. Sure. And you know, beforehand we had to figure out. Okay, is this you know what are we creating here? Um, what's the business model to support it? And um, and which business model are we going to pick? And um, at the time, uh, you know, Chris is a, is a writer. He's an idea guy, right? And, and I actually end up writing a lot too. Um, so at the core of our business, it's a content generation business. It's, it's a media business, right? And you mm -hmm. look at the media models out there and they largely fall into, okay, either uh, it's an ad supported business or right. it's a subscription business. And I do have to hand it to us. Um, uh, I think we really made the right call early on to pick the subscription. Um, you yeah. know, this was back in 2010 when we started working together. I, I think we're a really good example of of that term freemium, which I don't know if people still use today or not. But yeah, so that's a, a subscription model where some people get everything, get something for free forever, and other people pay a premium to have either more or better or more supported 
um, value. Exactly. We think of the premium part as sort of the and to the free part, right? So everybody gets the free, but if you want the really good stuff, uh, you cross the velvet rope and uh, subscribe, you know, put your, your card down to subscribe. Um, and our product is basically um, uh, a lot of forecasting. Um, and it's, this is everything from, you know, what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen to the stock markets to, um, you know, detailed strategies for how to get along better with, you know, uh, the important relationships in your life, like your spouse. I would say probably about 85 to 90% of our content is free. And when I say content, it's written material, it's podcasts, it's videos. Um, and, uh, what we try to do is build up a lot of capital and build up sort of our, our following, you know, our kind of our list, if you will, you know, it's a lot of subscription. How, how big is your list? It's a little bit over 80,000 people right now. Wow. So 80,000 on the list. And then you have the behind the velvet rope. Yeah. You have that 10 to 15% of the content that you create that is really good. Uh, and that is people pay how much are they paying for that great question so uh yeah our, our base subscription is um it's either a, a one month subscription for 30 bucks a quarterly subscription for 80 dollars, or an annual subscription for 300 dollars. and then how many people are paying for the the velvet rope experience yeah i'd say in the low thousands and they're paying the like something like 300 bucks a year yeah so they're the premium part of the freemium model. Exactly. Yeah. We, we also, and then on top of that, we have a number of other revenue streams and, you know, everything from, you know, books we write to, uh, personal consultations to conferences that we run and things like that. I think that's important for our listeners that you have this expertise and you have this research, this body of research. And what I think is really interesting is that you've packaged it in several different ways. So, there's the um, there's the free subscription. There's stuff on the website that is maybe evergreen, and then you packaged in other ways. You know, conferences, same content, but with the element of community. Um, it's a lot of different ways of helping achieve that. You know, the forever promise that you have about living life resiliently. Yes, absolutely. We paint with a really broad palette at Peak Prosperity, and we we. We have this framework that we talk about called the eight forms of capital, which sort of gives people an understanding of the different areas that we can kind of be trusted experts in. And it's everything from money to health, to relationships, to what to do with your home and your homestead. And two things that are really important. And Robbie, I'm, I'm guessing you've talked about this before with folks, but you want to be really, really, really crisp on what the customer journey is as they engage with you and in, in your different products. So in our case, it might be, oh, they read one of our free articles and they might read that on peakprosperity.com or they might read that on, on a number of sites that syndicate our content. Can you explain what that means? Because it's so smart what you're doing there. Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, when we sat down to figure out what are we doing, you know, we said, well, look, we're content generators, right? So it's a media company. So that content is our currency. And so the question is, is, you know, how can we get that currency out there in the world and get people interacting with it? Well, we can put up a website and post our articles to it. Great. That gets everybody that finds us. Well, how do they find us? Well, maybe somebody tells them about it. Maybe a search engine picks it up, right? And there are all these ways that you want to try to optimize each of those channels. Um, but there are a lot of sites out there, particularly in our world where um, you've got, you know, these are big interest areas, money, health, et cetera. And uh, there are big aggregator sites in each of those 
those categories where they're bringing in headlines from a bunch of different places. And, and their job is to try to bring in the best stories on the web on any given day around those topics. So what I did initially was I'd go to Google Analytics and say, oh, well, who's sending us traffic? And oh, it looks like this guy picked up one of our stories. So I reached, I started reaching out to these companies and developing a personal relationship with them, just letting them know who I was, that I appreciated they were running my content and saying, hey, if, is it okay if I write something that I think is particularly of interest to your audience that I send it your way? Because that's actually helping them, right? It's, it's taking part of the burden off of them. And so over the years, I've created you know hundreds of sites, uh, relationships with hundreds of sites, so that when I post an article on our site, I then go through my list and say, well, who's who's this relevant for? And I blast it out on anywhere from 10 to 90 different sites. And the hit rate's pretty good about them posting that headline on their site. Yeah, they've already done the hard work of gathering the kind of people that would value your content. Exactly. Exactly. Um, in so a for, way that, that advertising really can't. I would completely agree with that. And what's great about that is once you have that in place, it's free, right? The, the cost to you is the email of sending them the headline saying, hey, I think this one might be useful for your audience, right? And then all of a sudden, you increase your readership by several multiples. So you were starting to walk me through the, the customer journey, which um, is so important for any subscription business to really think through. Yeah. So somebody finds an article on one of these sites that has been syndicated by Peak Prosperity, and then they find their way over, and then what happens? Right. And again, there are multiple ways of this, but you want to sort of find the main ones, right? And say, okay, well, let's let's say somebody you know reads one of our site our articles on site X, and they find themselves on Peak Prosperity. Great. Well, what's the next thing we want them to do? Right. Well, you know, we'd probably love for them to create a free account at Peak Prosperity because then that that then lets them start contributing to the community dialogue here. So we have the ability to post comments and articles, right? So they have to have an account, a free account, in order to participate in the community. And that's an important metric for you. That is an important metric for us because that person then becomes more engaged, right? So they're much more likely to read. Their probability of signing up for a premium subscription someday jumps up dramatically, as does their probability of buying one of our books, purchasing one of our paid webinars, or coming to one of our conferences. Right. Um, and a big part, and this this is something that I think is, is really critical for those people that are um, that have community in, in their businesses, particularly if it's a business like mine where, where content is the real king. Um, we have cultivated a really vibrant, really active audience of curious minded, uh, really smart people. I mean, the, 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 one of the common threads of all our people is they're very um very educated. Um, but anyways, we've given them a forum for idea exchange. And if you're familiar with a lot of other content sites across the internet, they generally have a pretty low standard. <laughs> we made the decision really early on to be um, just uh, tenacious uh, and, and pretty unforgiving in making sure that everybody on our in our site community abided by the, the community guidelines. And we made it very visible when we stepped in and had to discipline somebody for violating them. And the benefit of that is everybody else realized that, wow, they're creating a really safe space here for really like intense, uh, uh, constructive dialogue, right? Like I can I can invest a lot of myself in writing a really meaty post here because nobody's going to rip me to shreds, right? Tell me if you if if I'm getting this right. It sounds like they come for your your brilliant writing and they stay. For the community, yeah, I, I think that's true, but I, I do think they they do come for the community too. That we've got we've got enough people there who have sort of 
emerged as, as thought leaders or domain experts in certain topics huh. that the community you know comes there to say, I wonder what this guy said today about topic X. And these are people who write for you, not for paid, just not because paid. they're part of the community. And, it's- and, and they do it because they're, they're very invested because this community has become, the word we use a lot in the site is tribe. Right. And people have really emotionally bought into being part of a tribe. Um, and it's great for us uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. It's, it's exactly what we want to create. And we feel wonderful about bringing that into the world and the good that it does. But from a business standpoint, these people are generating a tremendous amount of high value content for us daily that is free. Yeah. And that's, you know, the concept of a super user, which is in, in my language, it's somebody who's both paying regularly and um, for the services that you're providing and getting value, and they're contributing their own time and or money to for the well-being and the success of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do a really good job at what I would call building super users. That people, the kind of people that come in in the first place are more likely to be writers and thinkers and sharers. And then you make it easy for them to have a have a, as you said, a safe space to write and communicate and share their ideas. Well, thank you. And, and, and what this does is it creates a virtuous cycle. It's almost like a flywheel, right? Where um, A, their good, their good content uh, attracts other people around it, right? And then it attracts other super users who want to get involved um, because they, they see the example and they want to follow it. But it also turns these people into evangelists, right? As they are, are more and more emotionally bought in to the tribe and its benefits, they're going out and recruiting people for it. Into, so they're becoming uh, ambassadors to bring in new members. Exactly. Now, now you had a pretty, um, you've had a pretty steady following for a while, um, but I'm guessing that you know we're we're recording this in spring of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I gotta imagine that there's a spike because a spike in acquisition. Of course, everybody wants it, but a lot of times companies aren't. You know, number one, they don't know how to take advantage of a moment, and then they don't know how to um, convert that into subscription revenue. Yeah. Um, so we, we've been very fortunate that the machine that we built has been able to scale to handle uh, the volume we've had and, and, and barely, uh, to your point. And I think that's probably first and foremost to, to let folks know, which is uh, if you are you know, going to bed at night dreaming for that day that your ship comes in, um, just make sure that you've laid the infrastructure to be able to guide that ship into port because what kills a lot of people a lot of businesses is the dream happens, but they're just not structured to, to actually take advantage of it. Um, we've been very lucky to date. Um, so yes, uh, we, uh, you know, our, our, our core part of the business, the, the paid subscriber base has, I think tripled probably right in the past 45 days. Um, and we had been for a couple of years, pretty, pretty flat at that base. Um, and, um, so that that's the that's the paid subscriber base has probably tripled. The audience uh, total audience size has maybe gone up ten x uh, in the past forty five days. Um, and uh, a good example of uh, kind of the the second order effects of this. So our social media um, channels have just blown up. Um, our YouTube channel took us about ten years to get to fifty thousand subscribers. Um, and that's where we were at the end of January. Here we are now kind of nearing the end of, of March and we are above 330,000 now. Um, so that kind of growth. So your goal, I would imagine, is to keep the people 
that have joined your premium service. Oh, absolutely. Um, how are you onboarding people so that they they stay? I think our, our main focus with this is we have so many new people now that we are putting more of our focus on them. What we're trying to do is, is do two things. One is to demonstrate value, right? To say, okay, look, what we're putting behind the paywall is worth your money, right? So we don't want anyone to put their money down and say, oh, well, I'm really underwhelmed, right? Um, the second thing is, is these people are coming in on a very specific topic, right? The coronavirus. And, you know, we do not want to be all-time viral experts to these people. That's not the only thing we want to be. We have all these other, you know, things that we are experts on. And, and honestly, that's where most of our content normally is. So what we're trying to do is, is connect the dots in their mind that, oh, these guys who are my, I've decided are my trusted voice on the virus. They're telling me they could be my trusted voice on this other thing that's relevant to my life. And for better or worse for the world, um, what's helping us out a lot here is the coronavirus looks like it has become the trigger for the economic crisis that we've been predicting. Right. So we have a lot of people who came to us because they were researching the coronavirus, but at the same time, they've just lost 25% of their 401k over the past month. And they're reeling from that too. Well, we can spend an awful lot of time explaining to them exactly what's going on there, giving them day-to-day -day, uh, market updates uh, with our projections of what's going to happen next. And these people are beginning to shift and say, oh, I thought these guys, when I first you know, became aware of them, were just virus guys, but actually they're experts on money. And that's something that's really important to me right now. So we're trying to bring them into some of these other areas. You're kind of doing two things. One of them is you're taking them organically to the next place that they want to go. And you're also introducing them to this bigger concept that peak prosperity isn't a coronavirus research firm, um, but that you have this broader media mandate. You know, there's triggers that get people to join and there's hooks that make them stay. And, you know, the trigger that's getting people to join is the, the pessimism and the fear. And maybe the joy is what's going to keep them, the, this idea of this lifestyle that they can live that, you know, is, is going to help them be more resilient. What advice do you have for working stiffs out there that are working at great companies to have worked at, great companies to come from? They're still there. Um, and they want what you have. They want recurring revenue. They want interesting work, um, meaningful work. What is your advice to them? Yeah. You know, it's it's not easy. Nothing's guaranteed. I will tell you, nothing's better than being your own boss. And and once you have a, a cash flow positive business uh, that, you know, doesn't take on debt and uh, it's spitting out, uh, you know, what you need to provide for your family and, and anything above that is gravy. Uh, and you're you're able to sort of live, you know, something that's consistent with your personal life mission. It really doesn't get better than that. I think if I could come up with sort of some general guidelines, um, really good advice I, I got from the Stanford, the dean of Stanford Business School before I left. Um, someone had asked him sort of a similar question, and he said, "It's really important to take risks in life. I'm all about taking really good, calculated risks. Um, don't don't take a dumb risk, but but you know, if you've kind of really done your homework and lined things up." Go for it. Just don't take too many at the same time. So um, don't quit your job and have to figure out the business model at the same time, right? That's putting probably too much risk on your shoulders at the same moment in your life. So, um, you know, I think talk to people like me, talk to people like Robbie and the people that she interviews. You can get an awful lot of, of um, really great 
how-to advice from people that have done this and take a lot of the, the guesswork um, and, and avoid a lot of the rookie mistakes if you listen well. And you, you, can, you can bleed a lot of risk out of the system in terms of figuring out what model to put together. And you can get that company started on the side. Um, and I'd highly recommend, uh, I, I probably spent too long pinching pennies uh, and, and not investing in like the technologies and stuff that I needed. I, I, if I could do it over again, I'd probably invest in getting better systems in place earlier on, uh, both sort of you know, on the website side and like, I probably should have hired a good like funnel marketing expert and, and database marketing expert you know, or consultant early on just to kind of really help me design things and get it set up. Um, cause my learning curve on some of those things was longer than I would have liked. Um, but you can, you can, you can hire that. It's not that expensive. Um, and you can put a lot of those building blocks in place and get to your minimum viable prototype and, and get people running through your system all while you're still working somewhere else. And, and, and once you've got that proven at, or at least enough proof, then you're better positioned to take some of the bigger jumps like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to quit my job, or maybe I'm going to shift to part-time or, you know, whatever. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was um, not taking outside capital. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about the, the kind of structural side, because you know many people start a company, a media company, and their whole thought is, how do I grow this thing as big as it can get, um, even if I have to take you know outside money uh, and have outside partners in order to make it happen? That's a great point, Robbie. Um, so you know, on our end. Um... We were very fortunate uh, that we didn't have to take outside capital. Our idea was a uh, it was a big idea, but fortunately, we had the ability to start small. You know, the good news is if you're getting into, you know, I think most sort of online businesses that are, uh, especially if you have a virtual product, those businesses are not very capital intensive to start up. And it's a wonderful time to be an entrepreneur. I mean, even compared to 10 years ago. Um, right now, there are so many off-the-shelf solutions for things that I used to have to pay developers to do. And, and this, again, too, is why I think it's so important to, to just talk to as many people who are in the field doing what you're interested in doing, because they're going to they're give you, you're going to find some, some mentors there who are going to give you all the shortcuts. Oh, yeah, no, 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 there's a great plugin for this over here. Or, oh, there's a site that does this over here. You know, you, you can do a lot of this uh, much more inexpensively with less capital than you used to. And, and, and tied to that is... The more capital you take on, the more control and ownership you normally have to give up, right? And what you don't want to do is, is give away too much early on, um, especially when you're at the, you know, version 1.0 phase, right? Um, that's when most entrepreneurs are most vulnerable uh, to having somebody saying, well, if you want my money, you got to give me, you know, half the company or whatnot. Um, but in many cases, uh, to get to some, to get to that minimum vial prototype that people can start interacting with, where you're really going to get a good sense whether you know, your current vision is going to fly or not. Um, I would resist taking out any outside capital if you can, or at least not capital that's that's tied to equity being given up. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is such an important point for people to take away. Um, and your point that a lot of this can be, you know, bought off the shelf, you know, accessed as a plug-in, um, learned from a a friendly uh, fellow entrepreneur. I think that's such good advice. Um, for everybody listening, that if you're trying to build something out, remember that a minimum viable prototype, a minimum viable product is just that. It's the smallest thing that you can put out into the market and get real feedback on. So focusing on that um, and resisting the need for outside money, which brings with it outside uh, partners, uh, unless that's really 
the path you want to go down. Um, I want to thank you, Adam, for um, spending the time with us and for being so candid about your journey, about how you and Chris have built Peak Prosperity and about some of the best practices that other subscription entrepreneurs can apply to avoid some of the bumps and bruises that, that you've experienced and maybe enjoy the same kind of financial freedom that you do. Well, thanks, Robbie. It was a, a pleasure to be here. I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter, and this has been Subscription Stories. Today, my guest was Adam Taggart, co-founder of Peak Prosperity. To hear more success stories of entrepreneurs creating their forever transaction in this new and exciting membership economy, subscribe to my podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Also, please give me a rating or review to help me better understand exactly what you want to hear. To learn more about Peak Prosperity, please go to peakprosperity.com. Arnav Gupta and Mark Kirshner were the audio engineers for this podcast. Arnav edited this podcast. I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Thanks for listening and for your support.